0: As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we just wrapped up our podcast um, with Alex Smirznack from 2 Laundry. Um, we actually did Alex's co-founder, Dan, did an interview, podcast interview with Alex's co-founder, Dan, um, way back when, one of our very early single-digit podcasts. So uh, this was a chance to circle back around. Uh, Obviously, 2U Laundry is a laundry delivery service. Um, They also constructed their very first facility last year. Um, And so it's a chance for us to check in. They did a $6 million um, Series A in September of 2019. Obviously got hit with COVID, as as did every other business across the country and world. Um, See how they responded. Um, They're pivoting, um, which is just a natural natural result of this, right? And it sounds like they're really pivoting into a great space. Um, they're going to take it into a hybrid franchise model. So for those of our listeners that might be interested in exploring what that, you know, franchise model might look like, Alex talks a little bit about that um, and gives some information on how you can contact them and find out more about the opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. But really good conversation, just kind of exploring the, you know, the beginnings, um, where they went, how they got there, um, what the business is doing, how it can go, um, what exits might look like, and um, all the partnerships that they've developed over the course of the last couple of years, um, how they leaned on their board, how their investors have helped them. Just a nice um, interview. I mean, to Alex has done this for a couple of years. He's now moving into his fifth year with it. So just a mature entrepreneur talking about the hurdles, challenges, opportunities etc so um, once again i hope you enjoy another great edition
1: of the charlotte angel connection
0: all right so alex thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today
1: glad to have you of course happy to be here thanks for having me
0: yeah no absolutely so um interesting times for sure for your business and look forward to kind of diving into um you know a little bit of history on to you where you sit now where you are going in the future so um anyways as i told you a few minutes ago i'm gonna um i'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you off i'm gonna let you get get up to a run and start and <laughs> give me a little 60 second commercial on alex and Two you laundry
1: yeah happy to so i'm uh I'm, my full name's alex smersnack i'm from red wing minnesota originally of all places and our our claim to fame is red wing shoes and red wing boots so if, if any listeners are familiar with with those uh Kind of made in America shoes. I'm from the town that they're made in, um, and ended up down so, in. So ahead. real quick, I gotta I
0: gotta pause you right there. Um, are you sporting a pair of Red Wings as we speak?
1: Not right now, but I've got six of them at home, and it's okay. usually more so for the winter when it gets colder. I got gotcha. you. Um,
0: okay, cool but no, they they're they're,
1: yeah, right, they're they're phenomenal. Uh, but so I'm from from there originally, um, and ended up down in this part of the country by way of Wake Forest. So I'd always wanted to, to get out of the seven months of frozen tundra and see other parts of the world, and loved loved the you know the kind of mid-Atlantic southeast region. And um, applied to every school down here I could think of: uh, NC State, Duke, Chapel Hill, Wake, um, Vanderbilt, all of the above, and um, ended up at Wake. Uh, okay. bef- before and I was a finance major there um ended up running and selling another laundry business there uh before moving to Charlotte to do consulting at Ernst & Young for a few years before getting back into the the laundry space I guess I didn't have enough or, and couldn't keep away <laughs>
0: fair <laughs> enough so um what you learn at EY that um i mean great um great company right Um, good presence here in charlotte they do a lot of stuff for the entrepreneurial community here in charlotte um you were there for a few years after already tasting some success so what was that experience like for you
1: yeah so i i interned for ui the summer between my junior and senior year um and it always helps when you have a, you know, a few of your older fraternity brothers that were also working there, and kind of you know, it could show you the ropes and get you acclimated to you know what being an, an adult is, is is like outside of you know, college when you graduate. Um, so I had a phenomenal experience. I think the people there, the culture that they've built, um, is arguably one of the best experiences that I've had with working with another group of people ever. Um, incredibly sharp, motivated individuals, but at the same time. You know know how to you know balance that and have fun and get to know each other and you know, entertain clients, et cetera, and so I really got to learn all these technical skills, you know being good at powerPoint and excel and, and understanding how to pitch to a a client or a person, but at the same time building the relationships not only with clients but also um you know the people that you're working with so it gave me a lot of those foundational um technical but also kind of relational uh, practical skills as well,
0: yeah um so you're there for a couple of years and you decide to step out and replicate a business that you would started in in college um what um what was that uh lack of a better term what was that aha moment that said i gotta go i gotta go give this another shot
1: yeah so when i did it in college i mean i think i out of the gate thought hey this is such a, a you're such an interesting business model basically creating a marketplace, acting as the middleman. Why can't you do this at Duke, Duke, Chapel Hill, Vanderbilt, et cetera? So when we were running the business, it was me and two partners. I was always the guy that was like, hey, even when we graduate, let's keep doing this. And they were more of the, hey, no, 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 this is a resume builder. I'm going to go do investment banking in New York or marketing for Pepsi in Dallas. Um, And I didn't want to be that guy that held them back from doing that. So we ultimately sold. So I think it, I share that because even when we sold it, I think it was still in the back of my head of the what if and, and the what if, and I I don't want to you know live a life of regret later on or having thought you know the what if my whole life. So I think even after two years being at EY, um, I was always thinking of other ideas or how could I start this back up at another school um, or in a city and see what see if that could work. And I saw two companies on the West Coast, and this was really the kind of the the, the you know the straw on the, the camel's back or the, the impetus of the decision to to go and do it was. There's two companies that raised $30 million to go after it. They're getting customers. They're showing that there's something here. And I just kept watching them get bigger and bigger and thinking I'm going to have more and more regret if I don't do something about this. Um, so I finally just quit my job and said, "I'm hey, they're both on the West Coast. There's really no one really out on the East Coast doing it. Why not, why not do it and see if we can plant our flag and make something happen?
0: Um, so you pick up the phone you call your parents and say, Hey, I've got this great job with EY. I'm going to quit and start my laundry business all over again.
1: (laughs) It did not go as well as I would have thought it would have. Honestly, at first (laughs) I thought, you know, they'd be like, Hey, you guys already sold this business. You kind of know what you're doing a little bit. Um, you've worked at EY for a few years now. You know, you're young. Why not go do it? Instead it was, well, I don't know. EY is, it's a big four. It's a good name brand. They pay you well. Why do you want to go and do that? You should wait. And it was kind of very nicely said. You kind of like don't do it. Wait. You know, wait. Maybe you should get a customer and then do it. Then it was maybe you should get a hundred customers and then quit. Maybe you should get a you know thousand customers and then quit. And it was always kind of this next thing. And I think I just had such strong conviction that I was like, there's never going to be a good time to do this. I mean, you you probably know it yourself. You know, starting your own practice here in the past few years is like it there's probably always a, a reason to to convince yourself that there's a better time but i've felt that there isn't a better time than now so yeah i i, I did it against kind of my parents initial you know wishes or you know advice um, which was hard you know that you could tell they weren't fully uh, supportive as you'd want uh, you know parents to be but that very quickly changed in six months they were incredibly proud and supportive and um it was just that first month. thing. it's scary. They just want the best for you. And this is, is a scary unknown unchartered it's thing.
0: It's funny. I always tell people the best time to start a business was yesterday. Um, <laughs> so, right. So, I mean, it is right. There's, um, yeah, everybody will always come out with the reason to do it, you know, a year from now or two years from now. But, um, the reality of it is, is you should have done it yesterday if you're already thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of scary as, aspects of it along the way. Um, and that's going to be there the whole time you do it, no matter whether or not you wait a year or two years or 10 years or 30 years. So there's always a reason not to. So do it yesterday.
1: And that's why it's when I, when I meet other entrepreneurs, whether they're my age, older, younger, you name it. I, the, I'm always, I always am sure to share with them how just impressed I am that they took the leap. Cause I think that is the difference between, um, you know, like really doing it and giving it a shot or, or not is, is having that, that kind of gut feeling and, and following it. It's, it's hard to do. I think that is the hardest part, I think, is saying I'm going to go all in for at least a year and, and try it.
0: So um, you make the commitment. You're going to give it a shot. Um, you walk away from EY. What's the difference in the business model from the first turn to the second turn?
1: Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, so this, this time, I think our thought was, you know, we could try universities, but there's so much red tape. And it's like, it's almost like this really long tailed sales cycle, because you need the administration to, to back you and support you for it to successfully work on campus. And you know, as, as you know, administrations are very bureaucratic that you know, laundry isn't their first priority and letting an off-campus vendor so our thought was universities are attractive but tons of red tape hard to prove you know and get validation or an MVP even though we had done this at Wake maybe that was lightning in a bottle and we need to go prove it elsewhere And it's gonna take too long why don't we do what Wasio and, and rinse are doing um, and go after cities and let's see if Millennials out of college you know, bankers lawyers CPAs consultants etc who have more money than time um, you know, we'll, we'll be we'll be up for this. So we, you know, that that was our initial hypothesis was target the apartment buildings, the Class A properties in uptown and South End, um, and see if we get traction, see if something sticks. Um, so really, the big differences were targeting um, non-university students, you know, and everyone else but families, uh, busy professionals. Um, otherwise, it was almost identical. You know, you pay us, we go pick up your clothes, we get them clean, bring them back to you within a day um a little more you know premium than it was in college for sure you know different you could pick different days instead of being set to two days a week which is what it was in college um faster turnaround more customizations etc um those were certainly differences but everything else the underlying business model was near identical just a different customer base
0: yeah um so you start off on that model when you um two you started in 2016
1: is that right Yep, January of 16, so I'd quit EY December 4th of 2015, um, and then it was kind of like a month of, you know, planning, and we actually had a few customers at the time already, going back to what my parents were saying, like, hey, get a few customers and then quit, and it was like, we got 10 now, is that enough? And like, no, no, 100, yeah. 1,000, it kept going. Um, so we always say January is when we officially launched, because we were at that point all, 100% all in, no one else had any, you know, secondary commitments or primary commitments, it was just that. Um I'm not sure if Dan shared it in you know, the original conversation you guys had, but we had five guys living in a three-bedroom apartment with my golden retriever, uh, mattresses on the floor. We'd work together, literally sleep next to each other like in the same room. It was 24-7 with each other, only working on this.
0: Well, hopefully you were using your own service at that point in time, and you at least had clean clothes and sheets, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. We were eating yeah. our own, own dog food from the beginning.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So you do that in um, you do that in 2016. Um, we're 2020 now. So the business model initially was to go to the south ends of the East Coast um, and market to millennials. And you drive that. You raised money in 2017, right?
1: Late 16, actually. So we'd raised our first round in August of 16. We we bootstrapped to about 50 grand in revenue really quickly. And that's when we realized, hey, there's something here and we need to build some tech and that costs money that we, you know, we, we aren't profitable at this point outside of what we're trying to, you know, scrap by and live off of. Yeah. Um, and so, we had raised 400k originally to to invest in technology and launch a second market which was, looking back on it, very naive and out ahead of our skis. Out of, yeah, out, of, out ahead of our skis a little bit. What was that market? Uh, it was going to be Raleigh. Yeah. Um And, between January and August, you know, what had really taken off for us is we were talking to all these millennials, and you know these these working families got a hold of it. These dual dual-income households with kids, and a few moms got onto and they started posting in you know South Charlotte mom groups and you know all those different those pages, and it just took off. You know all, everyone wanted their own promo code that they would share with their neighbors, and their book club or their gym buddies or work friends, et cetera. Um, and that just, that just took off for us. And that's when we thought, Hey, we've got this figured out, let's go launch five cities. And you know, it turns out it's scaling's it's not that easy. Yeah. Um, it was one thing, but two, we'd raised the round to go launch Raleigh. And one of our competitors had gone out of business and, you know, long story short, wanted to learn from them, you know, what, what went wrong? Uh, why did you guys fail after raising this much money? And that really caused us to listen and be methodical about how we scale, uh, which we're thankful for. I'll never forget those conversations because it prevented us from launching Raleigh and actually doing the right thing and, and perfecting the underlying business model in Charlotte before we you know, got too aggressive, you know, crawl, walk, run, really. We tried to go crawl, run and skip the walk phase and that doesn't work.
0: Um, not not usually very well. No. <laughs> um so um so business continues to grow you do go you do tech stars in 2017 is that right
1: yeah Uh, so 17 the highlights are really you know we don't launch a city we do we vertically we start to vertically integrate without buying the assets so what i mean by that is we start owning the cleaning process in other people's laundromats so we go in you know overnight or during off hours monday through friday um, cause most people don't realize laundromats are generating 70 to 80% of the revenue on, on weekends, Monday through Friday assets are just dead, even though they're paying for them. Um, so the owners love it cause they're generating revenue while they're sleeping or while they're not even there. We love it cause we have control without the CapEx and our customers get a, a really c- good, consistent experience, um, as a result of it as well. Cause we now have that control that was desperately needed. I mean, the, one, the competitor that went out said that was arguably the main reason why is, they were losing 20 plus percent of people's clothes and that's just that level of error and shrinkage and loss is just it's not sustainable
0: yeah um so 2017 um you get better 2018 um is what happens in 2018 anything um uh, uh worth discussing just continuing yes. to perfect yeah
1: 17 was tech stars and we raised a a two and a half million dollar seed round. Um, 18 was we launched Atlanta in January of 18. So that was our official second market. Um, We had also started talking about um, vertically integrating and actually owning the assets at that point. So instead of us going into different, you know, mom and pop laundromats, us owning the whole stack, um, had a conversation with Electrolux at the time. They're a $18 billion appliance company located here in Charlotte. Um, And they were kind of our saving grace. Financed 100% of the our first location here in Charlotte, which is uh, actually an old McDonald's that we converted um, into a laundromat. Um, and that was a, a, a ridiculous experience for us. I mean, we're 24, 25 at the time, and the first piece of commercial real estate we're ever <laughs> buying happens to be from McDonald's corporate. So it wasn't a franchisee that we were dealing with; it was their Chicago wow. office. And so we're going up against arguably some of the best real estate people in the world um, and thankfully we have investors that are also incredibly and probably equally if not smarter um, than the individuals we were talking to who had one of them being jason williams uh started fastmed um of raleigh grew to 350 locations so he negotiated lease after lease and you know, property after property and um so he was in our corner the whole time kind of whispering in our ear hey say this hey this is how you get them to you know, move a little bit on this so thankfully we have an awesome group of you know, investors and advisors and mentors, um, to help us get through that. But that was a huge moment in 2018 as well as, you know, securing that site and then building our first, uh, retail location.
0: And that retail location opened in, it was, uh, July of 2018. So it's essentially a walk-in washer and clothes style, um, place, right?
1: Yeah, the, the, the nuance different is that your typical laundromat's 1,500 square feet to 2,500 square feet. This one's 6,500 square feet. And the reason being is we're going to process, all we you know, the idea was we're going to process 100% of two-use pickup and delivery volume out of there instead of using three or four dispersed mom-and-pop laundromats that have our own teams in them. So we needed all that capacity for storage, for workspace, for people sorting and folding clothes, but also for the retail laundromat. Um, and what was really cool and unique about it is our thought was, you know, we're not this big manufacturing plant that has a 600 pound washer and a 600 pound dryer like you would see for commercial linens at hotels or hospital beds or uniforms because we need to keep, you know, wills clothes separate from Alex's. And you might want hypoallergenic detergent and I want scented. And um, so it's like this small batch, almost like a small batch brewery Like we can't we're not making Budweiser. We're making this like really crafted you know, IPA instead. Um, and so we need different equipment and mom and pops have that equipment so we we knew we we're going to have all this these smaller batch equipment and our thought was can we get them to be utilized more often than any other laundromat in history and the way we're going to do that is being a both a retail coin laundromat um, and a processing facility for 2u and the way we're going to do it is design the store so there's roll-up doors all over the place that we can be flexible in the, the layout at any given moment so actually on monday through friday we shut down 60 percent of the store's footprint 2U processing all of that in the back of the house. The public has more than enough machines because Monday through Friday, you know, people aren't doing laundry at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. Um, but then on the weekend, when 2 Use is not operating, we open those doors and it becomes the largest laundromat in, in North Carolina. Um, and so you have this kind of perfectly synergistic complementary business that gets to fully utilize the assets that typically laundromats aren't able to do. Um, so that's really the biggest differentiator of, 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 that, of that first store.
0: Yes, that first store. I mean, you went from like a hub and spoke model to like the FedEx model, right? You're bringing everything into Memphis and you're shipping it out the next day. Um, yep. That's pretty cool. Um, so that takes off. It does well, right? You um, right out of the gate, that um, that location's um, um, a success for the business model.
1: Yeah, the, the thing that blew my mind is is getting into something like that was scary, right? It's once you build, you put all this investment into it, you can't move it, and, and if <laughs> You know, if people don't if people don't come to it, what do you you know what do you do? You're sitting on this asset that's fixed and stuck there, um, and so that was daunting and you know and scary at first. And the thing that you know thankfully happened is we we put every bit of thought and um, you know, strategy we could behind it into ensuring that that didn't happen. And within three months, the walk-in revenue, which is a completely new revenue stream for us, grew to about fifty thousand in monthly revenue. People pumping quarters in and buying detergent and you know snacks and Gatorade and whatnot from us. Um, I, I couldn't believe how much revenue, how quickly, and it on its own covered its monthly net. all the, you know, the, the loan on the equipment to Electrolux, the mortgage on the land in the building, and then a flowed on top of that in a way that was, you know, it would have been a sustainable business in and of itself. Um, so that was hugely rewarding and, and satisfying to see like, Hey, this, this can work and this really can be the ticket to how we do this going forward. Um, and immediately became a part of our strategy. Uh, we immediately started looking for a location in Atlanta um because we knew we needed the same thing um and we're under contract on a location in atlanta in uh late 2019 coming into this year and then you know the pandemic started and and we had to kind of pause plans on that but yeah uh, yeah the first location was a just a, a huge success and you know something that we are aggressively looking to replicate as many times over as possible
0: so you create success with the, um, the facility here in Charlotte, it's a great facility, it's profitable, it's driving the business. It's really started to help change the business model. Um, you know, it's kind of your quote unquote pivot moment, I would assume. Um, right. and in the same process, in order realizing that you have to, um, you have to go after that model, you make the brilliant decision to raise money in 2019 rather than in 2020. Um, what was raising, what y'all raise in 2019?
1: Yeah, so 19, this is now, we're in Charlotte with a vertically integrated location with about 20% net income margin in Charlotte. You know, we've got one proof point, right? It's like, hey, this is viable now. It's quality is where it needs to be. The margins are where, which felt so good. Because up until that point, I I think most entrepreneurs, maybe not most, but I think a lot can look in the mirror and say, hey, there's a 90% chance this doesn't work. That you know, Charlotte getting to that point was, hey, maybe it's not 90 anymore. Now it's maybe 70, you know, or 65% yeah. chance of failure instead of 90. And so that that felt really good. And um, you know, we wanted to go out and replicate it. So we, you know, we're in Atlanta now with our own teams and laundromats again. We're near profitability, profitability, but we know we need that vertical integration. We know we need capital to do it. So in late 19, we go raise uh, about a six million dollar Series A. Um, not only to vertically integrate Atlanta, but to, you know, double, if not triple the size of Atlanta and then go launch three additional markets with Raleigh being the first one. Um, so, you know, we go raise the round, launch Raleigh in January, and then we, you know, <laughs> cases are starting to hit Washington state. Um, and you know, I think everyone knows where the story starts to go from there. And, um, you know, we, we had, I remember the, in early February, our board, you know, called a, an ad hoc meeting, um. And just the amount of foresight that they had is, is arguably one of the most impressive experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Is just their ability to to see something and, and react well before the rest of the world did.
0: So what was that like? So um, you got a board meeting in February. You're launching Raleigh. Elena's um, moving strong. COVID is prevalent in China. Certainly. Um, at that point in time, is probably starting to make waves in Europe, um, but re- really not much here in the U.S. I mean, what's the what's that conversation like at that point in time?
1: Yeah, so we we didn't have we had just had a board meeting in January about you know Raleigh and how it you was know, how it was going, and um, then I think the first case I think there was one case in or a few cases in Washington State at that that um, um at assisted living or you know uh, yeah, assisted living home. Um, and our board's like, Hey, we should, we should talk about this. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Sequoia wrote that article in January. And I think everyone at first kind of read it, maybe dismissed it a little bit. Um, and our board, Eric Eubank, Jared Belsky and Kim Jones, um, all got together with us and just said, Hey, this is going to get bad. Preserve cash. Cash is going to be King. Shut anything down. That's not profitable. Let's pull out a Raleigh. And at the time, I I remember Dan and I got off the call and we're like, are they being, you know, they may be being alarmist or, you know, is, uh, that seems extreme and we put all this work into it and time. And, you know, Dan and I very quickly were like, no, I mean, they've collectively have, you know, nearly a hundred years of, expe- of, of experience. And, um, sorry, this light went off here. Um, you, you have, you know, a hundred years of experience. Um, we sh- we should listen and, and they're not wrong. The worst case scenario is there be, it is extreme and we have to flip the switch back on, which is easier to do than being wrong and spending all this money and, delaying the inevitable so we shut raleigh down in the first week in february and atlanta we said hey we need a 20 percent hit in volume for it to not be profitable anymore and to not be worth you know trying to salvage a week in. and then you start to see cases spread in washington state i think then atlanta gets its first case in mid-february um a week later we had about a 10 percent hit in volume which was abnormal um i think we just started to see the world just changing incredibly fast so we temporarily shut Atlanta down. And Charlotte, the beauty, again, of this brick and mortar is that Charlotte needed an 80% hit on volume to not be profitable anymore. So it was virtually, you know, indestructible at that point. And so Charlotte, we've kept on and has remained profitable and, you know, an exciting business for us. Whereas Atlanta, had we we built that location, which was good and bad timing because we were under contract on a location. They're about to, you know, about to purchase it. And we you know, we decided not to within days of you know the the due diligence period being over and us likely signing and buying it, which would have been the worst timing ever. You know, looking back on it,
0: yeah. So I mean, you would have you would have bought it and then you know had to um, you know essentially burn cash to build it up and then not know what it was going to look like on the other side of that point in time, right? Exactly. Um, so what you've done is you preserve cash. You're still sitting on it. You could buy it if you want to, um, with certainty. I don't want to say back on the horizon, but you certainly have a little bit better grasp today than you
1: did in, in, in uh, March, April, May.
0: Mm-hmm. So no, ha-
1: absolutely, and I think one of the other things the board did that was just so helpful was just again having the foresight and the wherewithal to say, "Hey, you have this once in a lifetime opportunity, even though I know it's daunting right now, and the world's kind of in turmoil and it's a little scary and anxiety-producing and all you know all these kind of negative <laughs> things." They they looked for that very positive light and said. How many times does any individual entrepreneur get a, a, a chance to say, I get to hit the reset button with, you know, sitting on millions of dollars in cash with a team that's got all these successes and failures, all the things that we've learned what to do and what not to do um, and can prepare for it now. And again, hit that reset button in a meaningful way. So they challenged us to take the next two months when these things are being you know wound down and the world's kind of slowing and halting almost to see you know, watching and waiting basically what's going to happen instead of you watching and waiting start planning and preparing um and get the team together and, and see if there's any pivots or you know what kind of uh, opportunities are going to come out of this and so that's exactly what we did we looked at we tore our business apart the good the bad things we hated things we loved doing things we were good at things we were bad at um and three themes presented themselves one was to you as a service is is it is more of a premium offering. It's a it's an affordable luxury. It isn't for mass market. This isn't UberX or Postmates. It is for someone that you know has enough disposable income that wants to buy some of their time back, essentially. Um, but we were positioning it the whole time as a mass market thing. Uber, you know, UberX, everyone's going to use it. Why not? When in reality, it is your household with 100k plus, 150k plus in income, which isn't which isn't everyone, right? And so we wanted to reposition it that way. So it is, you know, it does come off as more luxurious. It has many more customizations, more flexibility, um, a subscription offering, more technology to power it. Um, and so that was one theme that presented itself. The other th- two themes, though, um, which I think are the most exciting or you know, arguably the most exciting pivot or, or part of our story this year is the themes were the labor risk on... Our end was was big. I mean, the facility that we built in Charlotte, we had 60 hourly employees working out of it. Um, you know, and so every city, you know, imagine we're gonna have thousands, a small army of, of hourly employees, um, which is possible. I mean, companies have done it, but it is hard. I mean, it is there's turnover, there's you know, issues that you know SaaS companies otherwise wouldn't have to deal with, right? And th- th- there's just it has a layer of complexity that's difficult. Um, so there's this labor risk theme. The second theme was, you know, vertical integration is absolutely key. It actually grew 22% throughout the pandemic. That retail revenue um, took off and continues to be recession-proof, now pandemic-proof, and just a really good business. Um, And so we looked at that as how do we do more of those because they are capitally intensive, and how do we find a strategy to to rolling them out faster? And this is where this idea of franchising just that component came in because we thought it could address both of those themes of spreading out some of that labor risk to franchisees, while also getting you know, those those franchisees as partners in our business to build their own and develop their own locations, and to explain in detail what I mean by that is the laundromat business in and of itself is a $16 billion industry. You know, just coin you know washers and dryers that people that don't have their own washers and dryers can go use, whether that's college kids or lower income demographic. That business in and of itself is sleepy, stodgy. There's not a clear winner. It's highly fragmented, um, and I'll, in part a lot of that has to do with the industry hasn't caught up from a technology perspective. I mean, there was no way to actually track legitimate revenues from a franchisee before, or even on a corporate level if there was theft going on. There was it was just quarters. Now, and recently, Electrolux built equipment, and their competitors are following suit. The equipment can track everything. I mean, every penny, dollar, quarter that goes into it, when the machines are down, what's going through it, and so you actually have this you know this ability to put controls in place that didn't exist even four years ago. Um, And so you're starting to see people attempt to franchise the laundromat space. And I think we are going to see a lot of consolidation here in the industry. And our thought was timing couldn't be better. Inventory is coming up because businesses are getting shut down right now. Um, And this allows us to go sell a brand, the technology we've built to run the, the facilities much more efficiently and smoothly than we, you know, than others could do on their own. Um, and then on top of that, we can layer our 2U volume and make this laundromat something that has 16 percent asset utilization up to 60 percent asset utilization, which is is a magnitude, you know, massive difference. Um, and so that's the strategy is franchise, the brick and mortar. Um, you know, you could build a laundromat on the east side of Charlotte um, all in for. You know, a quarter million dollars to half a million dollars, Electrolux will finance up to 100% of it as part of our relationship with them. And then we can come to you and say, hey, you already have this this franchise business that does 600 grand a year in revenue, 30% EBITDA margins. We're going to layer two you on top of it, but not the whole thing. We'll give you 500 monthly active users, which is another quarter million to half a million in revenue. Um, if you want to, you might want to be the self-absentee you know, operator. You also might want to be that that owner-operator that's hands-on and wants that additional revenue. And so we've kind of got one for each type of of, of person.
0: Where um where did you go to re- um where did you go to research the franchise model? Right. Um, who'd you talk to? Um, was it? I guess I, ma- I imagine it starts with investors and board members.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So we we pitched the idea to our board at first and said, hey, we think there's something here. And we that, at that point we had done research on our own, uh, online, talking to our network. I mean, our network is arguably the most most helpful. Going through TechStars, going through uh, Endeavor in Atlanta. Um, within a week, we were talking to the CEO and founder of 24 Hour Fitness. Um, you know, who's just uh, in, within 30 minutes gave us 15 nuggets that I'll, we'll carry with us from here on out. Um, so just people who have been doing this their whole lives, talked to the CEO and founder of Sports Clips, um, talked to the chief development officer at Bojangles here in town. And so just all these really sharp franchise gurus that gave us just a wealth of knowledge on how to structure it. What part do we franchise? What part do we not franchise? What rights, future rights do we need to reserve? Do we Can we buy back locations? What's the franchise fee, royalties? You name it, the whole gambit. We got just a plethora of, of information and knowledge from 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 that network and so then we go package it up and we present it to our board hey here's the three different ways we're looking at it um and we we you know, work through it with them to land on what we've ultimately landed on now which is start by franchising the brick and mortar because we have this unique relationship with electrolux and it, it does provide a very exciting viable opportunity it's it's not what we intended to get into in the first place right we always thought it could be a marketplace the reason we vertically integrated was kind of uh, as an out of necessity and means to be, means to an end um and now we're coming full circle where we can continue to build that marketplace only we have a little more control on the supply side than we we had before and needed um which is it, it kind of works out perfectly everyone it's a win-win for for everyone involved
0: how did you come across the relationship with the i mean obviously it helps that they're located here in charlotte right um but did y'all reach out to them did they reach out to y'all how did that relationship get up off the grounds because i mean that sounds um i mean the fact that you know they help finance the equipment aspect of it for y'all they're you know they're willing to step in and help it on the franchisee level as well i mean that's a it's a really nice relationship to have um, where to start from
1: yeah I mean, you're right it's, it's it's huge i mean and, and where it started was um i'd like to say it was a master plan that we had and you know we reached out to them but i can't i can't take credit for something i didn't do um, one of their sales guys actually reached out to us and said, I see you guys' trucks everywhere. You guys have to have your own location, right? And we said, no, we're, we're, this is how we're doing it. And he's like, this is how you guys, this is, this is so smart. I, I mean, I think, you know, I think Electrolux would be interested in this beyond, you know, us just, you know, selling equipment to you guys. I think there's something here where if this is working the way that you guys are describing to me now, you know, could you go do this in other cities? Is that your plan? And we shared, yeah, you know, of course, yeah, we're raising money. We are actively trying to build a nationally recognized brand. And, and his thought was, and he, at that point, we shared all of our pain points of we're working on of three other laundry, other people's laundromats at this point. And there's all sorts of headaches with that. Um, and we explained those headaches to to this, this individual. And he goes, let me run it up to you know the, the head of laundry happens to sit in Charlotte. You know, our North American headquarters is here. Let me see if he would be willing to meet with meet with us and talk about it. So we go meet Tom Washbrook is his name the head of laundry for Electrolux sits here in Charlotte. We have a meeting with him and he, he is also, he loves the model and says, Hey, I think, I think we can do something here. Let's de-risk it for you guys. We get your startup. We'll finance a hundred percent of the equipment. Um, and if this works out, you know, we can go do this a hundred times over and this is, becomes a, you know, 10 year annuity for us. Cause you have to swap equipment out every 10 to 15 years. Um, and we want to sell the equipment anyway. So it's kind of a low risk, you know, high reward type of opportunity for us to go at least explore one with you. So that that's exactly what we did. We, bought the mcdonald's they financed the equipment and within the two months of it growing to where it grew they flew us out to sweden because they just they're like the ramp that you guys have experienced is not not typical and you guys are very bought in and and passionate about this and we love the two U model let's go see if you know kind of strengthen the relationship and um do see what this looks like i guess for the next year and five years ten years beyond
0: so um just pause with me for a second alex um I mean, small startup in Charlotte, um, you're having success, um, success delivering to, um, to income families in South Charlotte and up in the Davidson area. I think, um, you know, you're growing that business model. Um, it's, it's going well, you're doing dry cleaning, you're doing all of these other things. Um, but what really helped kick it to the next level was partnering with large existing player, right? Um, little did you know it was going to essentially paired with the pandemic completely change the business model. Um, so, you know, Charlotte's a town with entrepreneurs that are looking to take a business model and get it up off the ground and go out and scale and grow and do the things that you've done, right? I mean, you've raised money three times. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't just tell somebody to start, start a business and wait for the big guy to fall in your lap. But that's essentially <laughs> what, that's essentially what happened, right? I mean, um, you know, uh, take from, um, uh, the baseball movie, build it and they will come. But, um, is there, is, is there, is there a turnkey system to make the, you know, the, to make the big corporate guy come really scale or launch the business to the next level? I mean, what, what does it take besides luck
1: time? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I, I always say it's 50% hard work, and you know, 50%, I'm not sure what the composition is of, of luck, though, and, and timing. Um, and I think you have to control the things that you can control, right? And it's that 50% hard work out of the gate, again, you have to have, you have to have that, be willing to work endless hours for little to no pay, especially in the beginning. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, the timing and the luck, And you know, there's that saying of, you know, people create their own luck. I don't know if I've, believe that there's some truth to it as well as you know looking for those opportunities having the peripheral vision to see them um but then also setting yourself up to for those lucky things to happen over and over and I think in a sense we controlled some of our destiny by getting the vans out there growing as much as we could because it caught this guy's attention who then you know that conversation prevented itself as a result of the things we were doing not the idea in and of itself so the execution to me is you know is everything you've got to continue to execute. And then at the times where it feels like it's not working and you you want to give up, you know the a book I think everyone should read, especially that you know, want to be involved in startups and you know, being entrepreneurial, is the hard thing about hard things by you know, Ben Horowitz, and he talks about you're really never truly in a corner, uh, and I I believe that wholeheartedly. Is you know there might be times where you feel like your back's against the wall but you, you have options, they might not be good options, but you, you have mul- you have multiple choices. You're not, it's not just a one way thing and you have to give up. It's, there are 15 different ways you can not give up. It's, you have that choice. And I think that's the advice I would share is if you had the balls to, you know, quit your job and go after it in the first place, why are you not having that same mentality a year later when you, you have a hard problem to solve? You know, it's, you can't just give up after the first hard thing because there's always going to be hard things. Um, And it's having that just kind of relentless persistent mindset of always finding a way out of that corner and finding and creating as many options as possible is is, to me the key.
0: Yeah, no, I, um, I agree. There's, um, there's always another hard decision to be made. Um, and there's always a, you know, there's always an Avenue out. It doesn't mean that you get, um, you get lucky and you get the right Avenue, but there's always a right Avenue. Um, so, um, so the new business model is to take the um, say to you and um, and partially franchise it. Um, will you do that? Will, will, will you do that in Atlanta or will Atlanta be another corporate
1: store? Yeah. So Our thought is we'll continue to build corporate stores in parallel because we've gotten advice from the guys at Sports Clips and a few other kind of retail franchise concepts that They franchised aggressively at first because they wanted the brand presence, reputation, they wanted to be first to market. And now they they don't necessarily regret it, but they're buying them all back. They want to have them corporate-owned. They just did it at first as kind of a a growth strategy. Um, And so their advice was along the way, as much as you can, continue to build corporate stores, especially in spots where it's going to really benefit to you. Because that's, again, ultimately kind of, for us personally, for our, you know, for our personal passions and goals and what we want to build out of this to use is really kind of that bread and butter even though again franchising is incredibly exciting it's it's a means to an end for us still um which is why we're you know i think it's a perfect symbiotic kind of relationship to franchise those out because it is people can make incredibly good money off of it it's just not the business that we wanted to get into managing all those assets and um locations it was more so this you know marketing technology play that we've been most excited about
0: so go back for a second you mentioned you know you when you started this in, um, I guess technically December 2015 one of the reasons that you started it was because you'd seen two companies in California successfully raise money and go after the marketplace um, subsequently one of them went out of business and that was helpful for you as you continued to um, to push to your laundry forward um, the other one is it still around or is it going under too?
1: It's still around. Yep. So they're are they doing
0: the same thing or are they still on the old business model?
1: So the, the biggest difference between them and the one that went out is the one that went out was purely trying to be Uber for laundry. So 1099 contractors, um, incredibly inefficient routing as a result of it. Cause laundry doesn't behave like food delivery or ride sharing where it's, you need it now. And there's enough demand at given times, at a lot of given times of the day. Um, so that was really like one of the other linchpins for that first one. The second one learned from that as well, did static scheduled routes similar to how we do, but they are still outsourcing everything. And that's where I believe, you know, the the last kind of linchpin exists is you've got to have control on the laundry side because there, there just is not a supply chain on the wash dry fold piece. Dry cleaning, you can outsource it and you rely on it, it's reliable. Professional operators with good technology, et cetera. The laundry side is just kind of a wasteland and you know, the laundromat that you may maybe used in college or have driven by or have seen before that they, 90% of them look that way or operated that way. And you can't build a business around quality out of that type of operation. You just, you can't.
0: So, um, so they haven't, they haven't pivoted yet to your own business, to to your business model where um, centralized store FedEx model type place, right? Um Is anybody else operating in that space as far as, um, um or is it kind of greenfield for you right now blue ocean whatever you want to call it
1: yeah so when we as soon as we did that i think that was the, the other thing that electrolux shared with us early on is they're like we know Washio, we know Rinse, we've looked at you know, they're they're looking mean, they're they're not you know they're a huge company with a lot of resources they're watching everything to see what's coming up and could potentially dislodge them or displace them or disrupt them etc um and so they were very hyper aware of all the other laundry startups and i think this is why part of the reason they were as excited and willing to do what they did is we haven't seen anyone take this approach and we've had internal hypotheses that you know if we were to ever get into this space we'd, we'd do something similar to what you guys are doing or if there was going to be someone that could figure this out it would be this type of model because they understand the asset utilization they understand um the importance of keeping those you know those running and generating as much revenue off of them as possible um, and they understood the unit economics of delivery uh, just watching like the pngs of the world and tide doing Tide dry cleaning and um yeah, you know, they were they were just hyper aware of that and thought you have to own the whole stack for it to work
0: okay um <clears throat> sorry what's the trajectory from here so um I mean, obviously you, you know, again we're i don't want to say we're completely behind the pandemic but numbers coming down i saw the other day that jp morgan is requiring their top level managers in new york to come in so slowly people are going to start to open back up offices. Schools will, at some point in time, you know, Charlotte just uh, released their schedule for sending kids back to school. So, you know, gosh knows, hopefully um, time is on our side, right? I mean, we're, we're going to return to a normal life. Um how quickly do you launch right i mean how quickly do you you're already taking inquiries i think from from, from p- potential franchisee owners uh, which is a um, i guess a question we should ask if any of our listeners are interested in a franchise i guess they there's a link on the website or something like that alex is that right
1: yeah so it's to you backslash franchising okay um and then they can email me directly to at Alex at 2 you laundry.com. That's the number two, the letter U in laundry.com. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're we're very aggressively targeting that now. We we can't start legally selling franchises until mid-October. We have to get our franchise disclosure document completely wrapped up um, and the franchise agreement wrapped up. Um, but there is already kind of a, a waiting list, if you will, of about 150 people um, that are interested in... You know, starting to have that conversation around what does it look like, what areas, what sites are available, what territories are available? And we're going to start with north carolina, south carolina, and and Georgia,
0: okay. Um, how do you divvy up um how do you divvy up territories? I mean, um I mean, you're um, you're learning a whole new world of the franchise, right?
1: yeah, so that that's been fascinating is they you know some people carve them up into zip codes, but that doesn't work. you know some businesses that works for others, it doesn't. For laundromats, you know, we are, it's hyper local, right? I mean, it's a one to three mile radius play and that's, that's it. And so what we do is we have built territories based on another one couldn't exist uh, within two miles of another, of another one, uh, sorry, two and a half miles of another one. Um, and then we look at the population the certain demos that we look for in Charlotte, you know, for a successful laundromat. And we think Charlotte has the capacity to have, you know, thirty to forty laundromats, you know, really good laundromats. Um and we're looking to try to capture fifty percent or so of that market. So we want to build you know, ten to fifteen of them here in Charlotte. Um then you can two to three X that in Atlanta. Okay.
0: Um and then I guess as you go big city to big city, it's um you just look through your demographics, you look at what it could fit, everything else, you to it up and you let it go.
1: Yep. Um, yeah, and the way it's, it's really interesting. So let's say, you know, you and five others are interested. If you're one of the first in the pecking order, you get first, you know, grab at sites that we've identified as being, you know, of course, we don't want to pick all really good sites, but we might have yeah. one that sticks out more than another and a se- you know, one that's very close, etc. You have first dibs at that site. But if you're moving slow and pass on it, or, you know, just for a reason, you have cold feet in, in the process um it goes to the second person so there is this you know that's how we'll we'll go about doing it which i thought was you know again a good nugget of information we got from people that have been doing this for a, a long time um is to have those kind of controls and, and processes in place to, to be as fair as possible because that's really at the end of the day it's a partnership not we're not hiring someone it's someone getting into business with us as a partner
0: is this the less capital intensive route for y'all to take then um, I guess, and where I'm leading to is, is this essentially, um, will you raise money again in the not too distant future?
1: I don't. With this model, I don't think we'll have to, um, because the franchise fees coming in and the royalties coming in do offset a lot, and we are still sitting on a good bit of cash. Um, so that, combined with this model, uh, if executed correctly, we won't have to, um, won't have to raise again, unless exactly. we again we're like, let's go blow it out and someone else is onto us and they're trying to copy us and we need to go faster that could be a reason to but um we do have a little more control from that perspective which is good
0: how's how's life been with your investors specifically the recent round right the september round they've been um they've been pretty patient with you as the whole pandemic took over um uh helpful strategic all of those different things um and i yeah. guess Knowing that you can't talk bad about your investors. But anyway, <laughs> well,
1: I've always, I mean, I don't, I, I try to be as candid as I can. I mean, I believe in complete transparency, even if it is, I don't even like to say the word negative, even if it is constructive, you know, feedback yeah. or, or whatnot. Well, sometimes um, it can be negative. Yeah, yeah that's fair. I, I try not to be, though, right? Like, I say, if someone was mean, I'll say, hey, someone was being mean about, you know, yeah. mean or, or uh, unreasonable about something. But no, everyone's been um, overwhelmingly supportive. Um, and this isn't me trying to just talk nice about people to talk nice about people. It, it's been from every angle, people reaching out, how can I help? Have you thought about this? Um, and even, I mean, we we did consider an option of returning capital and, you know, s- selling the assets that were profitable. I mean, we, I'm not going to, again, I'd, I'd rather be transparent about it. I think it's, it's healthy to be able to do that it's probably productive and helpful for people listening, I guess, to be able to talk about the hard things too. Um, so we seriously did, you know, consider that as one of the options of do we return capital and, Everyone basically said, look, you guys continue to be incredibly passionate about this. Um, you know, what's the point of locking in a loss versus there's this viable pivot here. It's wide open space. It's a huge, huge market still. You guys still have a good team. You still have the cash. There's still revenue coming in. There's profitable elements of the business that are exciting. Why why wouldn't we you know, go for it? Um, and so that's 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 where we came. It's funny. One of our lead investors called. Um, and I, I was kind of, I was waiting for some of the potentially bad news of, hey, do you, you know, we really want you to return capital, not really a suggestion, but more of, you know, of, hey, we're, we're going to push for this and fight for this, and we want to make that happen. And our lead investor called, and he starts the conversation with, I'm sure this is, you know, this is, you probably don't want to hear this. And I'm like, oh, great, here it comes. Um, and he, what he said was, isn't this all, isn't this a blessing? And I. I was like, wait, what do you mean? this is this a blessing? I don't know if I'd go that far. Call it a blessing. And he he yeah. elaborated on and, and, and kind of what I shared earlier with you is how often do you get the chance to reset sitting on as much cash as we're sitting on with the team that we have, with the lessons learned um, and the opportunity now in front of us? You know, all this inventory coming available in retail. Um, the relationship with Electrolux, it almost feels as though, and I, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but it feels like this was a blessing in disguise. And I get what he means by saying, you know, isn't, isn't this a blessing? So thankfully, it wasn't, hey, return capital. It was, you've got an opportunity to take advantage of it, get after it.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've, you've raised money and, you know, um, from institutional, um, institutional places. Um, and ultimately that that obviously means that, you know, they want to sell, you know, in a future round or um they want to realize a liquidation or an IPO or um or whatever it is, right? They want their they want their money back because their investors want their money back. Yep. Um what's um and I mean obviously a very clear potential exit strategy sits right in our backyard with electrolux, I would imagine um Mm -hmm. you mentioned you know some of the other big laundry players um uh what are the what's the view at this point in time is it just to grow the business to x and then continue to evaluate um and not close any door or how are y'all approaching that knowing that exits are desired
1: yeah absolutely i think dan and i are this you know we're in the same boat so we don't want to be the laundry guys for the the rest of our lives and so everyone's you know in that way is very aligned you know, how do we build something big that, you know, that has resale value and that, you know, certain players would be attracted by PNG, Electrolux, Henkel, Unilever, et cetera. Um, And so I think our our thought is going back to creating options for yourself is really get as big as we can. I mean, I don't mean to sound kind of like vague and, and flippant, but if we get to 30 major cities with a couple hundred franchise locations, um, you know, that's a, a a brand now that's attractive to the P&Gs, the Electroluxes of the world. But until then, it's, you know, it's pure execution, execution mode. Um, and that's what we try to keep ourselves and everyone focused on is, yeah, the exits in the back of our head. There's definitely a path that we're working towards. But, uh, you know, the stepping stones between he, here and there are, are where the, the majority of the focus is, is what does the next stone look like? Is it a round, easy one to step onto? Or is it a weird, jagged one that we got to kind of jump on and quickly get off of? Yeah. Uh, and we're hyper focused on you know, putting one foot in front of the other right now versus trying to jump across the whole river all at once.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, so two wrap up questions for you as we kind of get close to our time here, um, do you ever talk to your original college co-founders um, about what they're doing? Do they miss out on the opportunity or they um, uh, you know, what's what are those conversations like at all if you continue to have them?
1: yeah no, so we yeah, we stay very close. they They love hearing about it. One of them's actually uh, running marketing at another startup and loves it. So he's getting the same taste again. He was he did okay. his his tour of duty at Pepsi and um you cut his teeth there and now is in the startup world um, with some equity and loving more responsibility and love you know love loving what he's doing. And the other, the other partner is uh, in New York uh, doing banking and he actually invested in our last round. So he's he also is doing well for himself and is yeah. getting to vicariously live through it. And um, again, lo- loves what he's doing. is just ultimately happy for, for me and, and what we're doing. And um, So it's been you know, amazing that we've been able to keep in touch and continue to support each other throughout yeah. life. So you've
0: raised money three times. Mom and dad told you not to do it. Did mom and dad ever um, hop in on her friends and family side of things?
1: They they. Did and did not. And what I mean by that is they didn't directly participate in rounds. My mom was always kind of bugging my dad. We should have done that. Why didn't we do that? Um, but early on, we did uh, take out a home equity loan, and they were willing to that we put up a condo that I had purchased after selling the first business, as well as um, their house or par- a portion of their home equity up as collateral. Okay. Um, so in that way, they were willing to. I mean, that was a. We were able to take out a fifty thousand dollar loan, and and you know. The, get us to that first uh, spot of raising an outside round
0: yeah um, so well you've got to have capital right and you hear the constant stories from entrepreneurs about you know uh, putting thirty thousand dollars on the American express card or whatever <laughs> else it was so um, anyways you did it on a home ec- home equity line and on the bank of mom and dad so it happens and um, and you know again you executed well and you've got it to this point and gosh knows uh it looks and sounds like a great story and um fantastic for y'all and 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 good for charlotte too so um great job to get to where it is way to be self-aware and willing and able to step back and evaluate how to make it succeed going forward it certainly sounds like you're on the right track for pushing it forward and i hope you get a another 150 um you know uh franchisee requests as a result of this, (laughs) this 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 podcast here today so I mean, it is. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's a nice business model for somebody to be able to step into, right? Um, you especially I don't see, now. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to say you perfected it, but you've you've certainly put a, a damn good road roadmap out there for somebody to come execute on. So, um, so good luck.
1: No, I, I appreciate that. It's been a it's been an exciting journey. It's certainly full of up and ups and downs, and um, just appreciative of the people that we've been able to meet along the way. I mean, uh, all the conversations you and I have had at different Charlotte events and um that I think is one of the most exciting and, and rewarding parts of it is the people you get to meet and the support you get along the way. It's just it gives you complete faith in humanity and, and the ability for all of us to kinda of help each other out and try to accomplish goals and build something together.
0: No, (laughs) you're exactly right. So, um, yeah, and again, the the things that y'all have done, uh, both publicly and non-publicly, for the Charlotte startup community, um, being present and helping others is fantastic, and it's what um, it's what's necessary to continue to get this thing off the ground. So, um, so good luck, and thanks for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me again, and uh, look forward to talking again soon.
0: Absolutely. Go um, now. Go knock it out of the park. Do it.
2: investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.